you haven't, open your Bible to uh, Psalm chapter 63. I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll read God's Word together. Father, we thank you this morning for your Word. We pray that you would open our eyes to behold what is in your Word to transform our lives. I pray that you would take the film off of our eyes, the filters off of our ears, that we would be able to hear what you're saying to us today. I pray for your blessing to dwell richly with us. And I also ask for the grace to walk out your word, not merely hear it, but to live it. We pray for that today, and we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. I was um, thinking about what to share with you this weekend, and what came to my heart was Psalm chapter 63. I want to talk to you about seeking God. I want to talk to you about seeking God. In Psalm 63, King David wrote this psalm. And what we read about simply in verse 1 is his heart cry in seeking the Lord. And this is what prompted me to share this. But just a little background on David. David's the youngest in his family. When we first meet him in the Old Testament, he's a shepherd of his father's sheep. He's obviously being overlooked when they're considering who the king of Judah is supposed to be. When Samuel the prophet comes to anoint the one that God has chosen Nevertheless, he was anointed, he was appointed to be king over Judah, and then eventually king over all of Israel. He goes from the lowest place to the greatest place. Anybody, anybody relate to that today? <laughs> no, you've never been in the greatest place. Don't say you have. <laughs> David was not a perfect man. In fact, he was far from it. We read about that in the Bible on a few occasions. Some very serious and egregious sins that David committed. And I love that about the Bible. It doesn't back away from showing the faults as well as the victories of some of those that we read about and even preach about in the Word of God. The most well-known picture of David's sin we find in 2 Samuel chapter 11. You, You might know the story where David takes another man's wife. It's debatable, but it seems to me that this is probably a picture of rape is what ends up happening. He ends up impregnating another man's wife, and to cover up his sin... He has her husband killed. Her husband is a soldier in David's army. And this is just how egregious this sin. And that really is the picture of sin. It goes from bad to worse to worse to worse. And this is what we read about David. Now, David is confronted uh, in his sin by the prophet Nathan. And then later, we see that the Lord brings on David's life serious consequences. And not long after this, one of the things that happens to David is his son Absalom seeks to supplant him as king over his kingdom. And this is just such a radical story of betrayal when we read about it from beginning to end. And Absalom is successful for a period of time in supplanting his father. But there's this point in the story, in David's story, where Absalom has won the hearts of the people of Israel. And they're now coming to the city of Jerusalem and they're going to kill David. And so David and some of his loyal men, they hightail it out of Jerusalem because they know what's about to happen. And now David is traveling, he's on the run, he's a fugitive, so to speak, he's running for his life. And the Bible says that he's somewhere in the desert of Judah, and he's out there. I I can't imagine what he's feeling, what he's thinking, and what he's going through. But this is what he writes in the midst of that context. Imagine what he's feeling, picture what he's facing. Now we read Psalm chapter 63, verse 1, and he says, Oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and a weary land 
where there is no water. This is what David says in the middle of the context that I just shared with you about. Of all the things that David could say, this is what he says. Now, I want to ask you a question. First, I'm going to say Merry Christmas. Are we, okay, pleasantries have happened. Smiles there. Do these words characterize your relationship with God? My body longs for you. I thirst for you in a dry and a weary land. Does this passage of scripture characterize your relationship with God? David's in a desert. He's on the run. He's physically thirsty. But he acknowledges in this moment of his life, one of probably the most difficult times in this man's life, He acknowledges that he needs God more than he needs anything else. Can you imagine this? David's prayer, David's psalm, David's lament could have been, God, you see what's happening to me. You see that my son has supplanted me. He's stolen the kingdom, your kingdom, away from me. He doesn't ask God for his kingdom back. He doesn't ask for reconciliation with his son. What he simply says is, God, you're my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My body longs for you. What I want more than anything else in all of the world, right here and right now, is I want your presence in my life. God, I have to have your presence. And there's really nothing more important. And I love this picture of what David is saying in the context of this passage. Earnestly, I seek you. When I read these words, and when I read these words prior to coming and sharing a sermon, everything in me said, yes, Lord, this is all I want. I desire you more than anything else. It isn't always shown in my daily activity. This isn't always the truth of what you might see in my life, but it's certainly the yearning and the desire of my heart. Can I ask you this question this morning? Is that your heart? When you read this passage, does your heart say, that's exactly how I feel. I, everything that I am, I want, I want you more than anything else. That's, that's the core of my being. That is the sentiment of my heart, the cry of my heart. Sometimes we see people in a close relationship with God and we think, well, that, person, that person's found something. You know, that person's really special. Right, That person, you know, they just have this special line to God. They've got the bat phone. They, they have this special communication that nobody else has. They had the encounter. You know, they have a certain pedigree. They were raised in a certain family. And that person has this special relationship with God more so than I could ever have. And you know, all of that's just a lie. What we celebrate in Advent is that Jesus came for everyone. Jesus came to break the barrier that we had in our sin to relationship with the Father. He removed everything so that we could have a clean and clear relationship. And the truth is, is that we are as close to God as we want to be. We are as close to God as we want to be. What I've learned and what you've learned is not that anybody among us has a special relationship with God. It's that those people who are close to God seek him. Those people who are close to God prioritize him. They seek the Lord. And this is what I want to encourage you to do today, is that we would be a people, like the psalmist psalmist says, that seek the Lord with all of our hearts. None of us stumble into a close relationship with the Lord, do we? You just don't walk along and go, oh, wow, I found the secret. There it is. You know, you just, it never happens to any of us, stumbling along the road, and now all of a sudden, we're close to God. There are real things that I think bring us into a place that I think God intends for us more than we desire. Did you know God desires to be closer to you than you desire to be with him? God desires to speak to us more than we want to hear him. 
That's very important to know when you, when you posture yourself to seek him. I simply want to share with you a few thoughts that I have about seeking the Lord this morning. And the first one is this. Seeking God starts with our desire. Seeking God starts with our desire. We just read from Psalm 63 verse 1 that earnestly seeking God is born out of a thirst. And this is the metaphor that he, that he uses. He's in a desert. He's got no water. And he uses that sort of as this metaphor to say, but I'm more thirsty for you. I love the metaphor of, of thirst and, and hunger. You know, I want you more than water. Because we all are hungry and we all are thirsty. This is so important for us to recognize. But we realize that what he's saying is, I desire you more than anything else. I need you more than what I need in the natural. And let me ask you, have you lost your desire for God? Have you lost your desire for the Lord? And what do you mean? What do I mean by that? Have you lost your desire for his word? Has it become boring to you? Has it become routine? Is there any flame of love in your heart? Like, I can't wait to get into the Bible. I can't wait to worship the Lord. I can't wait to spend time in prayer. Are you drawn to a place of intimacy with God? Or are you shrinking back from that place? Where are you today? Is this the desire of your heart? Lord, I desire you with everything that I am. And sometimes we notice when we lose our desire for the Lord, our pursuit grows dim. When we don't have the desire for the Lord that we once had or maybe have not yet had, our pursuit of him, going after him, seeking him, spending time with him, that grows dim. Well, the question is, how do you regain your desire? Or how do you capture a desire for the Lord? And I'm glad that you asked that question this morning. Because I know it was in your heart. I perceived it. You know how you regain your desire for the Lord? You see the beauty of Jesus. You see the beauty of Jesus. The Bible teaches that becoming a Christian happens not because we seek him, but because he sought us. Therefore, everything that we do in seeking God is only a response. Now, I thought, I know some of you good, well-meaning Christians already thought that. You thought, Pastor Ben, it's not about us seeking God. It's that God has sought us. Amen. But now that he sought us and that revelation has come to us, he's enabled us and empowered us to go after him with all of our hearts. And this can, we can be distracted from this. Look, look what 1 John chapter 4, verse 10 says. And I'm reading in the Message Bible, which I never do. Now, those of you that are going to go the long haul with me over the years, you'll notice that I, I rarely, if ever, will read from the Message Bible. But once in a while, there's a special treat for you. I'm a New American Standard guy to the end. But this is what it says in the Message Bible, and I think it's very beautiful. He says, this is the kind of love that we are talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sins and the damage that they've done with our relationship with God. Isn't that a beautiful way to put that? It's not that we've loved God, it's that God loved us. It's that God sought us in Jesus Christ. It's that the Father gave everything by giving his son. This is what Christmas is all about. It's the great sacrifice of God on our behalf. The one that we didn't earn, that we don't deserve, but God because he is loving, because he is great, because he is good, because he is awesome, he gave everything for us. And if we don't seek God right now, or we've lost our desire, when we look at him and we see what he's done on our behalf, it draws us back to that place of love and response. How do you regain, how do you regain your desire for the Lord? You've got to see Jesus. And let me ask you this morning, it, are you seeing the beauty of Jesus? Are you overwhelmed? 
when you think about what he's done, is it a yawn or is it a drawing in your heart? I want to be with you. I can't even believe you did this for me. I can't even believe you would do that for me. We personalize the gospel. And sometimes if I, give you, if I were to give you an honest confession, I feel like as a pastor, now I, I don't know how this is going to sound, but can I just say it anyways? Okay, I'm going to, but I always like to get some agreement. Because then it makes me feel like we're unified. I don't know. Probably just silly. Sometimes as a pastor, I feel like my hardest job is to convince people how bad it really is. Like sin is really bad. And I know we don't like to talk about that. Pastor Ben, smile and tell me something happy. I am. I am, but it's in the context of what is really bad. The grace of God in Jesus Christ is only so powerful because of how bad it really is. And we're only drawn to him even more because we know how much we needed him. Let me just say to you today, Christmas is upon us. We needed Jesus to come. If we're not convinced that Jesus had to come, let us be freshly reminded and utterly convinced. Jesus had to come. The Bible says in Romans, in chapter 3, that the wages of sin is death, that every one of us stands before a righteous and holy God in our own righteousness, standing before God, and here's what we bring to him, and it's just not enough. And so Jesus came and gave his own life. He took death in our place. He rose from the dead. And he bids everyone to come. If you simply believe upon me, I have taken death in your place and I will give you eternal life. And we needed that to happen. We needed God to send Jesus Christ as the sacrifice for our sins so that we don't have to stand before a righteous and holy God in our own righteousness. It was really bad. The good news is only good because the bad news was really bad. Sin is really bad. Has anybody been affected by sin in this room? Okay, if your hand's not up, prophetically I see your hand. Every bad thing that we're experiencing somehow is tied to sin. Somehow it's, and you know what's crazy about it? Is God gets blamed for a lot of what we have brought on ourselves. Even if it wasn't our sin personally, it was our sin all the way back to the first human beings. Sin opened up the floodgate to affect every person in this room to confuse us, to confound us, to hurt us, to bring pain into our life. Every person in this room has a story of pain and difficulty and trauma and sin and treachery and betrayal and you name it, we've all experienced it to some degree. But our story can change and I would say can only change if we receive Jesus in our life. We give over our life to him because he is the answer for all that we're experiencing and really all that we need in our life. We have to see the beauty of Jesus. If we don't desire him, it's because we need him to further open our eyes today. Don't you constantly need him to open your eyes to who he really is? There is no Pastor Ben, I already know that. The gospel has depth to it. The gospel of Jesus has so much depth. We will forever be longing to look into the loving heart of the Father to do what none of us would ever do. What none of us could ever do. It's just so, so powerful. This is who God is. Aren't you glad that he sought you out? That he pursued you? That he went after you? 
I know I am. I was a 19-year-old nobody filled with all kinds of anger and pain and immorality, drug addiction, and God sought me in so many strange ways. It was annoying. Oh, my gosh. I've got stories. I can remember just being at Safeway, and I'm in line buying some gum, and I, for some reason, was sober at that time. BC, everybody. And this lady at the cash register starts talking to me about Jesus. She's just ringing me through. I'm like, lady, I just want to buy some gum, okay? She's talking to me about Jesus. But, you know, God was pursuing me is what he was, is what he was doing. And he eventually drew me to himself, and I said, yes. I said, yes. And when I said, yes, I saw the beauty of Jesus, and he gave me a desire for him. When you see the beauty of the one who came for you and gave his life for you, you respond. And that's what seeking God is. Seeking God is a response to the one that sought us. Seeking God is our response. I, I tell you this, maybe some of us in the room, you say, Pastor Ben, well, I read my Bible and I spend time in prayer because it's the right thing to do. I don't know, does that accent, did that convey? That, <laughs> it's like a Tulsa. I don't know where that is. I traveled around a lot, and so you pick up weird stuff. All right, sorry. You know, but God wants us to have desire in our relationship. No, does anybody like a forced kiss? You, do you know what I'm saying? Like, well, you know, I, I, I got to kiss you, so I might as well. I don't want to. I mean, if my wife, she's not here right now, so if my wife in any way, shape, or form revealed to me that she had to kiss me, and she comes up to me and she tries to, I'd be like, hold up, wait a minute, let me put some desire in it. Say, wait, <laughs> think about that woman, think about that. I'd tell her, I'd say, hey, you're going to sleep tonight thinking about these lips. <laughs> Restore to you the joy of the kiss. Now you're welcome. It's funny because it's funny. That's, you know, nobody likes a forced kiss. I don't like a forced kiss. I'm like, no, thank, no, thank you. And no, God wants us to have that type of loving relationship with him where it does, it's not legalism, religious, like, well, I got to read the Bible because it's the right thing. He wants to put a flame in our hearts where we love the word of God. Can I tell you this morning? I love the Bible. I'm not kidding. I'm not joking. I'm not lying to you. I'm not selling you something that's not true. I love the Bible. And whenever I go through a dry season, it is an invitation to ask God for more love for him in my life because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And whenever I notice that that part of me just gets bored and wants to sit on the couch and do something other than be with the one who gave his life for me, I say, no, Give me back my desire, Lord. Give it to me. You say, Pastor Ben, how do I get my desire back for the Lord? Ask him for it. Ask him for it. He's the one that gave it to us, and he's the one that continues to renew it when we ask him. Isn't that a beautiful relationship that whatever we lack, we ask him for, and he gives it to us? There's no guilt, shame, and condemnation in the believer because Jesus paid for us, and he continues to give us whatever we need, and all he asks us to do is come. Come. I want you to come. And if you lack the desire, gosh, I'll give it to you. This is what the Lord is like. What things have we allowed to distract us? What sin can compare than having a close and clean and clear relationship with the Lord? What sin can compare? What entertainment 
is more important than God. Now I know, Pastor Ben, don't, don't go there. Pastor Ben, don't talk about entertainment. How much television do we need? How many episodes and seasons and come on, the devil vision is killing us. Average, on average, Americans watch two hours of television a day. I was reading a statistic yesterday. I don't even know if it's true, but it just sounded like something I should say in a sermon. So <laughs> this gentleman was saying that on average, at least the people that they polled, Americans pick up their phone, check their phone 2,600 times a day. Another one I was reading was said that most people on average before they get out of bed, now I'm sure this is a, there's an age gap in here somewhere because if you're over a certain age, you might say, well, that's not true. But I, I think there is an age gap here, but on average, people check their phones 14 to 20 times before they get out of bed. Now, now here's what I'm saying. We're a distracted culture. We're a distracted generation. I'm not guilting anybody here. I'm just saying that I think one of the greatest enemies that we have is the distraction that we face, filling our heads and our hearts with total insignificance, complete and total insignificance. That stuff won't change our life, it won't help our life, it won't renew our minds, it won't challenge us to be the givers and people that love others and want to support others and change our city. It won't do any of that for us, it'll just entertain us. And you know what I think entertainment is? I think entertainment detains us from entering the quality life that Jesus paid for. I think it's one of the greatest enemies that we have today is entertainment. It's one of the reasons why anxiety is on the rise. It's because we're so engulfed in wanting other people to like us and know us and feel good about us and affirm us instead of coming to the word of God and getting affirmed and knowing that we're loved and being encouraged. God has so much for us, but we've got to be with him in order to receive it. He wants to encourage us to be with him. Pastor Ben, thank you for encouraging us to be with Jesus this Christmas, <laughs> I had to encourage myself right there. You see what happened. Get your desire back. God can give it to you. The second thing I want to share with you today is seeking God grows through our decision. If you've known the Lord for any length of time, you know desire's not enough. There are times where we have to make real decisions. God is always seeking us to give everything to him. Just because we are believers in Christ does not mean that he sort of says, well, I'm glad that you're saved, and I'm glad that you name my name, I'm glad that you say you believe in me and you walk with me. He, go, he wants everything. So he's going after all of our heart, all of our life. We've, we, we believe in the mission of Jesus. He wants to partner with us. He wants to send us out into the world to do the things that he did. And so he's constantly going after everything that we are and inviting us into moments of real decision where we say no to the flesh and we say yes to what Jesus has for us in our life, what he created us for. Look what Psalm chapter 27 verse 7 says. The psalmist writes, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, and be gracious to me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, shall I seek. Think about that for a minute. When you said, seek my word, when you said, spend time with me in prayer, when you said, I want to be with you, I want to be intimate with you, I want you to know me and I want to know you, I want to have this abiding and close relationship. When you said, come to me, bring your burdens, when you said that, here's what my heart said, your face, Lord, I will seek. 
with God's invitation in our life, what is our response? Our response, according to the psalmist, should be, your face, O Lord, shall I seek. What does your heart say this Christmas season? I'll wait for another time. I'll, uh, when I'm not busy, come on, anybody get caught in that lie? Can I, can I give you the secret? I'm gonna do it. It's, here it comes. You guys look ready. Your life, my life, is never going to get unbusy. There's empty nesters in the room, and there's single people in the room, and sometimes I think pressure comes on you like you have more time. That's not true. You, what, what we are is we're a people, no matter what the context of our life is, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you have kids, whether you have young kids, whatever it is, you can claim that you're more busy than everyone else in the room, but the truth is, it's not true. All of us are busy people. We live on a busy planet. We live in a busy culture. We live in a busy generation. We are all busy. The truth is we have to make real decisions to prioritize our relationship with God in our life. That's the truth. He has to be the most important appointment in our day or it won't happen. And so we have this idea, and it's a lie. When I get less busy and I have more time, good luck with that. It's a lie that we believe, and it's not real. The truth is, as we say to the Lord, I'm having a hard time finding the time in the fog. Would you help me to prioritize you? See, that's the humility that we need. I can't tell you how many conversations that I've had. I'm laughing. I shouldn't. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had where people have told me they don't have enough time to read the Bible. I, I, I've heard it. And I'm not, I'm not, listen, it's not guilt. I'm just saying that's a lie. It's a lie. We can't afford not to read the word of God. We can't afford not to spend time in prayer. We, th what I'm giving you right now is not enough. What I'm giving you right now is not enough. You know, the studies that they've done were actually reading the Bible, the ones that I've read, is that if people read the Bible once a week, it doesn't even affect their lives. That, at least those are the studies that I've read. And this would be equivalent to reading the Bible once a week is what I'm giving you. And they've even gone as far as looking at twice a week. Twice a week, not even a blip on the screen. Three times a week, maybe a little bit, like a heartbeat. Does it affect or change your life, a heartbeat? But the studies suggest that when people read the word of God for themselves four times a week or more, once you, I don't know what, why the magic number is four, and I'm not saying only four. Come on, seven. Let's go for seven. All right, Pastor Ben's doing what he needs to do. He's working hard here. But they, they say, the studies say, once you get to four times a week, it's at that point that the blip on the screen, it's, we, that goes way up. It starts to get into our hearts, starts to get into our life. It starts to challenge the way that we think because we're integrating it into a normalcy of who we are and what we do. It has to be consistent. It has to be consistent. So this is what the studies say. And so it's really not gonna affect our life much if it's just occasional. And that's, that's what we read about. And so we have to prioritize our re relationship with the Lord, and we make real decisions to do that. Does, if, you're, if you have children and they're grown, maybe they don't have to be fully grown, but no, nobody likes it when your child calls you for only one reason. They call you because, come on, they need something. <laughs> hey, Mom, Dad, how are you doing? Yeah, I just was thinking about you the other day. And, uh, yeah, sorry, it's been a year and a half, uh, you know, been busy, but I was just thinking about, say, how's that uh, portfolio of yours doing? You know, I know you've been investing, 
and the stock market. Yeah, no, I'm good. Thanks, I'm good. Uh, you know what I'm saying. We, no, nobody likes that. When a, when a child calls you and they just want something, what does it do as a parent? It grieves your heart. It grieves your heart. Why? Because you want more. If, if that, now, I had my oldest son here last night, and I gave him a hard time, okay, because I, I can, and I have the microphone, and it was fun. But he's, he's turning 27 in a week, so I have an older son. And so I was, I was messing with him, and when a parent gets that phone call, and that's really all we ever get, we long for deeper and more meaningful relationship. You want to know where that longing comes from? It comes from the Father. When we just use God in a reactive way, and we get into a jam and we call on God, God, I need this, God, this is what I need, and we haven't had that consistency in his word and that consistency in prayer, and we treat him that way, the father longs in those moments. While he'll minister to our needs, he longs for something more. Jesus did not just die to be the eternal source of whenever we get into a jam. He is the source for all things, and he has more compassion than any of all of us combined. He has mercy on us in those moments. But let me just encourage you right now. Having a reactive relationship with God is not a quality relationship. In fact, it's not a relationship at all. It's just acknowledging that he has and I don't. That's not hard to do. We all know God has. He has the ability. He has, he has the resource. He has the power. And so all of us acknowledge that he is and that he has and that he's the source but what he died what Jesus died for was that intimate relationship I want to know you I've got your biography he's omniscient he has knowledge perfect knowledge about the past present and future but he wants exchange you know that is one thing that God does not have with us unless we give it to him and it is in our charge now theologically we can debate that but the truth is is that somebody may know the biography but not actually have the exchange of relationship. And this is actually what God is after. And we get to make real decisions in order to make that real. And if we don't, what happens is we turn it into religion. We turn it into routine, and it's dead. And it's dead. It's what we read about in the Gospels where we see the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They can look the Son of God right in the face and correct Him. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine when the wake-up call comes? I was actually correcting the Son of God. The weight of that's going to hit every person. I mean, oh my gosh. But there are decisions that he calls us to make. And we need to be mindful of what God is really after. You know, Jesus said something to this effect. Because I think that when we seek God reactively, what ends up happening is we get disillusioned. We get disillusioned. Because we end up saying, God, why, why are you not here? Where are you? He's been there the whole time, but we haven't. I'm telling you the truth this morning. I know it feels good. You guys look all, just smile. you got to smile a little bit more often because it's, don't let it get heavy here. Look what he said, Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. He says, do not worry then, Jesus speaking, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all of these things. And he's just talking about those that don't know God, they seek all of the stuff. They go after everything that they think that they need. The Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need. God is mindful of every person and every need that every person has. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If we seek God first, he'll take care of all of the other things that we need. This is what the scriptures teach us. 
Those that don't know God seek after all the things, hoping that they might acquire them. But those that know God, Jesus is reminding us, he's saying, when you put my kingdom and my righteousness first, I got you covered. I'll take care of all this stuff, but you have to go after me. And that, what he's talking about is a proactive relationship, not a reactive relationship. And it's so vital and important that we as followers of Jesus have this with the Lord, that he's not simply just the source of our needs, that he is our heavenly father. Our heavenly father knows what we need. He's mindful of us. Seek first the kingdom of God. When we prioritize our relationship with our king, then our king will take care of us. This is so powerful. This is so true. My point is this. When we don't make decisions to seek God first, it's because something else is first. And so there's no guilt over that, but there's a reminder this morning to go after him. Let let the Christmas story remind us that God did everything to go after us. So let's push all these meaningless things out of the way to be with him. This is what Christmas reminds us. Now, how do we seek the Lord? We seek the Lord now. Let me encourage you. I read the Bible every day. Okay, I read the Bible every day. Now, I'm not telling you that to make you think well of me. I mean, that, that's, that's not the point. The point is I need the Word of God in my life. I'm just the guy that knows that I need God. I'm not the person trying to tell everybody else how awesome I am and how you need to be more like me. I'm pointing to him. I'm not pointing you to me. But I'm saying, I need this word. We need the word of God, and we need a daily dose of the word of God. Just like we need air, just like we need food. He didn't give us this to have a casual, occasional relationship. This is actually a need in our life. It's not just a book with words, you know, with words that are old and don't make any sense. That's the person that doesn't understand it. But the person that's seeking God, that's reading his word, is finding revelation for their life. I just read this morning James chapter 1. Now, I don't want to tell you all of the thoughts that I had in James chapter 1 because it will send me off into another sermon. And you don't want me to take you that long because we have Belgian waffles. <laughs> and I have another service. But I don't need to come up with sermons all the time when I'm in the Word of God. You've got to give the Holy Spirit something to work with. God, I'm not hearing your voice. What are you giving him to work with? This is the eternal voice of God. This is the eternal Word of God, the unchanging Word of God. Generations come, generations go. Culture comes, culture goes. Things change, but there is something that is unchanging, and it might not be popular in our culture to talk like that, but it doesn't matter. Everything changes, but the Word of God doesn't change. You're looking at a person, and you might just go ahead and look to your left and right. You're looking at people that have been transformed by the truth that is contained in this book I was a terrible, horrible person, and I found simple truths. I didn't know about the Trinity. I didn't know about all of the things that this book said, but there were simple things that I heard when I was 19 years old, and I responded to it because I thought in my heart, maybe it's true. Maybe God is good. Maybe God can save. Maybe God can transform. Maybe Jesus really came, and when I responded to it, the Holy Spirit came into my heart and in my life, and the next day I woke up, the sky was blue, the grass was green, and it was like I had never seen it before. I was dead, and now I'm alive. I'm not selling a wolf ticket. I'm not trying to get you to buy something. The gospel is true. But let me say to you today, the gospel is the beginning. 
of entering into the relationship with him that we need. We cannot give ourselves to lesser things. We want clean hands and a pure heart that we would not lift our souls to another. A lesser thing does not deserve your heart, your life, my heart, my life, my attention. Lesser things do not deserve the precious time that I have in this world. They just don't. What about prayer and fasting? God draws us into a place of intimacy and we make these decisions. We're actually going into a 40 days of prayer and fasting. And I know you're excited. Because you are. And you know, I'm not a, nobody's asking our church to fast, like not eat for 40 days, honestly. You say, Pastor Ben, what do you do? This is what I do. I, I usually have seven days where I only eat dinner. And I spend extra time in prayer and the word of God for those seven days. And then the next seven days, I might just have, you know, just go without breakfast. Sometimes I'll do a water fast where I'll go completely water for like a week. Some, but you know what I do? I get off everything social media. And that's a biblical fast is to abstain from food. But I think it's also a good time to prune out other things. And what we're doing is we're saying no to the flesh and we're saying yes to God. You know what I think fasting is about? I think fasting is about focusing on God because we're cluttered. For 10 years at the previous church I was a part of, I led a fast called Dedicate. And we would start at the beginning of the year and we would fast together as a church for 21 days. Here we do 40, so I'm like, upgrade. (laughs) You know, why not? 50, 60, whatever, you know, let's do it. But we called it dedicate. You know why? Because we were dedicating the new year to the Lord. And I used to look at it like house cleaning. I would say to the Lord the first day of the fast, is there anything that I've filled my home with that doesn't deserve to be here? Is there a lesser thing that I've lifted up my heart to? Is there a lesser thing that I've given my time to? What is taking the place of the relationship that you truly want to have? What do you want to do in my life, Lord? Help me to just clean out the house. What is it? And the Lord, you start talking to the Lord like that, and he'll lead you. Oh, my gosh. Uh, You know, sometimes, I'm not hearing the Lord. What are you asking him for? (laughs) You start getting, all right, you know what I'm saying. There are decisions that we need to make. The third and final thing I want to share with you today about seeking God is seeking God is sustained through our devotion. Seeking God starts with desire, it grows through decisions, and it's sustained through devotion. Devotion meaning loyalty and commitment. Sometimes we go through the not-so-exciting times, and that's where we ask God for our desire back. But we don't give up on the Word because we say, you know, we had the honest confession, well, the Word's kind of boring, and I didn't get anything out of Numbers 22. Okay, cool. Well, tomorrow's Numbers 23, so keep on reading. I didn't hear the voice of God today, and I was praying. Okay, well, it's not a reactive relationship. Maybe He wants you to persevere, and as you persevere, you'll find the richness of His voice, the depth of what He's trying to say in, on Wednesday and not simply on Monday. He's leading us into a relationship. And this is so important that this relationship has many, many of the same aspects of relationships that we have with one another. We go through seasons, but we stay devoted and we continue to ask him for desire. It's not about how we feel. It's not about the feelings that we have. Does anybody want to live by their feelings? You know, some of the feelings that I've had this week, you do not want me to live by my feelings. And I don't want you to live by your feelings. Do you feel like reading the Bible today? Do you feel like praying today? Do you feel like the, the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak? We've got to make those decisions and stay devoted to the things that matter the most. That's what marriage is all about. If we live by our feelings, nobody in this room would be married. Has anybody had a bad day in their marriage? You know, I'm just not feeling like it today, all right? 
until you get some desire back in your life. <laughs> but let's just be done for now. I mean, that's, we have to remember that having this relationship with God is, is a relationship. And it's about commitment and loyalty. He is so committed to us, isn't he? Is God committed to you? He has committed his power. He committed his life. He has committed his spirit. He's committed to us. So he's calling us to be the same. And you know the cool thing about following Jesus is the Holy Spirit lives in you. When you give your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside you, which means that we now have the power to stay committed to the Lord when we once didn't have that ability. We were dead in our sins and our transgressions. There was a time where we did not have the ability to be loyal to God. But when we say yes to him, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, and now we have the power of God to stay committed to him. Before we didn't, but he gave us what we needed to stay committed. Maybe you're struggling with hope, you're contending, and it's hard to pray. Let me just share with you Psalm 105, verse 1 through 5. It says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Speak of all his wonders. Glory in his holy name. Listen to this. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face continually. Remember his wonders which he has done, his marvels and the judgments uttered by his mouth. Let, let, me, let me just say, maybe you're in a place where you're not feeling it. Maybe you're in a place where you just feel hopeless or you're not understanding what's going on right now. The psalmist says, remind yourself of who God is, remind yourself of what God has done, that God is good, that God has power, that God has worked in your life. Those that seek the Lord, let their hearts be glad. What, what that means to me is I can walk into this room, gathered with the people of God, and I can raise my hands, not because I have everything that I want or everything that I've asked for, but because I have God and He's enough. And this is why I raise my hands. I may not be feeling it. I don't know if I'm on beat or not on beat. I don't know if I sing well or don't sing well. It's not about me. I'm reminded of who he is, so I lift my hands. I'm reminded of who he is, so I sing with my voice, which isn't all that great of a voice. But this brings back the hope that I need when we do that. Action matters. Faith works itself through action. And some of us, we need to hear that. You need a new action in your life. You say, well, I'm not going to do it till I feel it. I would say do it until you feel it, but I don't know if that sounds right, so discern that for yourself. Maybe you're struggling with a sin issue. Look what the psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 9 through 11. How can a young man keep his way pure? How can an old man keep his way pure? How can a woman keep her way pure? I'm catching all of you. <laughs> By living according to your word, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How much of this is in your heart? I have put this in my heart that I would not sin against you. When you have a sin cycle in your life, and I don't care how long you've known the Lord, you might be struggling with some sin. Last night, I had a man walk up to me. I hadn't seen him for a long time. He's a person that I knew from up north. He said, Pastor Ben, I just want to thank you. He's not a part of our church. He was just visiting. He said, two years ago, I heard you preach something similar to that. You said some similar things about making decisions. And I was struggling with gambling. I mean, he's a guy that serves in the church, faithful to the church, loves the Lord, 
all of that, great dad, he said, when you were preaching that message, I realized that I have a gambling addiction that's very serious, and I made a decision to seek the Lord and put down my gambling addiction, and I've been sober from that for two years. That's what he said to me last night. You, you could clap for that. That's Jesus stuff. So here's what we're talking about. Here's what we're talking about. Do you have a sin issue in your life? Like a, a repeated cycle of sin that you haven't broken free from. Alcoholism, drug addiction, lust, pornography, sexual sin. Something you've never been able to get free from. Maybe you gossip like nobody else. Maybe you're angry and mean and you want that to go. Listen, how does a person keep their way pure? By living according to your word. This is not a game and it's not rocket science. The word of God are not just words on a page. There is power in those words to change our life. How can you say that, Ben? Because I know. I have tasted and I have seen that God is good. You can tell me it's not true, but I've sat and I've eaten, I've tasted and I've seen, and I'm telling you, it tastes good. It's good food. It's better than the Thanksgiving spread. It's better than the Christmas meal. I don't like ham anyways. Maybe you're confused about something and you need to know what God thinks. Seek him for understanding. And my final scripture here is Proverbs 28, verse 5. And it says, evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand all things. Don't you love that? Amen. Are you confused about something? God has the answer to everything. And maybe we don't get all of the answers that we need, but he'll settle the turmoil in our hearts. God will do that. Staying devoted to him is what we're all about. Amen? Amen? To me, this is what Christmas is. It's recognizing that Jesus came because we needed him to. It's responding to him and receiving salvation. And then it's seeking him every day of our life because he's worthy of my entire life. He's worthy of my entire life. Nothing is off limits. I need you, God. I want you, God. Help me to seek you with all of my heart. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus. We need you. It's not just um, that we grew up in a Christian home or we happened to live around people that somehow we intersected with that brought us to a place of, of believing in Christianity. It's that we needed the Christ. We needed the Messiah. We needed you to come. We needed you to save us from our sins. And we recognize that today, that we didn't only need you one day, but we need you every day. So, Lord, I pray that you would give us a hunger and a desire to seek you with all of our hearts, God. I want that. I want that for our church, that no lesser thing would have my heart, that nothing would take the place of my affection for you, because you didn't allow that when you thought of us. It was for the joy set before you that you endured such shame and pain on the cross. And we thank you for that today. And I just want to, I'm coming out of my prayer for a moment. If you have not given your life to the Lord Jesus and you don't even have a relationship with him yet. Now you know if you're a friend or a guest and you're a family member and somebody brought you here, you might be wondering when I'm going to give you the pitch. <laughs> well, I'm going to give you the pitch. Because I believe that there are times that God intersects our life, moments like this, where he's calling to us to have a relationship with him, a real relationship. God loves us so much, and that's the story of Christmas, that Jesus came because we needed him, and he's drawing us to himself.
And he's been doing this for thousands of years, that millions and millions and millions of men and women have given their hearts to Jesus. And us being here today, there might be some among us that have yet to respond to the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to restore our relationship with God the Father. And we need him. We don't just want to wait until we get older and we might pass. We want to today. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't turn away. The best decision that I ever made as a 19-year-old young man was to give my broken and sinful heart to Jesus. And he changed me. And he made me new. He did what nothing else could do. And no one else has ever been able to take that away from me. It's why I'm here. It's why I do what I do. I've given my life in service to him. And I'm saying to you today, if you have not yet responded to the gospel of Jesus, today is that day. Don't leave here today without doing that. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. I'm not going to ask you to come down here in front of everybody. I want you to make this courageous walk after the service, and I will wait here and pray with every person. Last night, I prayed with a wonderful young woman who gave her life to Jesus right here. She came up and said, Pastor Ben, I need to give my life to Jesus. I need to do what you said. And if that's you, I'll wait. I'll be here as long as you need me to be here. But don't leave just wondering if it's true. If God's touching your heart, make sure that you come forward and one of us will pray with you to receive Christ. That's the best gift that you could ever receive is knowing him. Amen. God bless you. Will you stand as I close? And you go get Belgian waffles. Don't leave yet. Here's the benediction. As you go, be strengthened by God's word. Be filled with God's spirit. Be mindful of God's voice. Be focused on his mission as we bring Jesus to people and people to Jesus. We're so glad you were able to join us today. We would like you to find out more about Northwest Church by going to our website, nwcfoursquare.org or downloading our app in any of the app stores by searching Northwest Foursquare Church.